Welcome to the Supervisory Development Course Podcast from the University of Minnesota. The podcast discusses the key steps that you can take to build a culture of accountability. For more information on accountability best practices and resources, visit supervising.umn.edu and explore the accountability webinar page, which includes relevant resources. For those of you that are just joining us, I'm Emily Tichich. I'll be presenting the material today along with Brandon Sullivan, the Senior Director of Leadership and Talent Development. We'll also be joined by Amanda Wolford, who is a consultant in leadership and talent development. And she'll be helping us out as we work through a scenario later in the second part of the webinar, which will illustrate some of our accountability concepts. So what are we talking about today? We've divided our webinar into three parts. So the first part is what is accountability? The second, how do I build a, cult a culture of accountability? And the third, of course, is the Q&A, which as I mentioned, we'll do with time permitting. So what is accountability? Before we jump into our content and define accountability, let's take a look at these two situations, and I hope this will illustrate some of our main concepts today. As I'm reading the two scenarios, think about how they're the same and how they're different. So we have two employees, Jean and Mosin. Both of them are, employee, are employees on Amanda's team. So Amanda is their supervisor. First, Jean, she's a stellar performer, uh, for example, recently she suggested cross-training a colleague so that there was always a backup in case someone was out. This was a great idea. She created a guide that outlined these steps and presented the guide at the team meeting. So Jean always does things like this without Amanda having to ask or follow up with her. And sometimes Amanda feels like Jean can just read her mind. This is not the first time Jean has demonstrated initiative around her work, and Amanda has always been very satisfied with her initiative and the results of these actions. So that's Jean. Our second employee is Mosin. Mosin is also on Amanda's team. Mosin is generally a very solid performer, but Amanda has had to spend a lot of time nudging him to get him to move his projects forward. He always seems to have more questions about how Amanda wants him to do things, and this results in just taking too long to complete tasks. Amanda would like him to take more initiative to make decisions on his own about how to go about a project so they can use their meeting times more efficiently. This week, Mosin has been working on a presentation and during a recent check-in meeting with Amanda, he asked Amanda if she had any ideas about how to organize his presentation and really where he should begin. Well, now she's frustrated, Amanda. She wants to help him, but she's frustrated because he didn't come to the meeting prepared to talk through his ideas. He hadn't put together any of his own ideas and he just seemed to want her to tell him what to do. She ended up patiently answering his questions, but now she hopes that he will take more initiative to do his part on his own next time. We have a situation now with Jean and Mosin in which both of them are competent in their roles. Jean is proactive, she's a top performer, and she always takes initiative on projects even without being asked. Our other employee Mosin is competent too, but he lacks initiative and he relies on Amanda's help even in the simplest tasks. So here we have our first chat. For this question, we want you to think about what can Amanda do to establish a culture of taking initiative in her department? She really wants to show her team that taking initiative is important. So in your opinion, and you can type your answer in the chat, what can she do to establish a culture of taking initiative? Great, I see a couple coming in now. Yes, leading by example. Yes, share that expectation with her team. 
Jean says, allow for mistakes. Great, thank you. You model the behavior, good. Yes, lots of ideas coming in, thank you. And if you haven't had a chance to read through that chat, you can do that now while we're moving on with our content. So these are all great ideas. She's definitely thinking about how to make her team more proactive. And let's, again, let's think about what's happening a little bit. So we have Jean, who cross-trained a colleague without Amanda having to ask. And we have Mohsen, who didn't bring well-thought-out drafts to the meeting. He was generally unprepared and off to a slow start. Both of these, what they have in common, is around initiative. In one hand, Jean is demonstrating initiative, and Mohsen is demonstrating a lack of initiative. In Jean's case, she showed initiative. In Mohsen's case, he didn't. So that's the difference. One is showing, demonstrating it, one is not. Amanda's challenge is to create a culture of accountability around initiative. So we've looked at Jean and Mohsen, and now we need to think about Amanda, the supervisor. What is her role in all of this? Did she do anything to get Jean to take a lot of initiative and cross-train a colleague? Uh, we don't know the whole context, but it doesn't really sound like it. She mentioned that she felt like Jean could read her mind. In fact, even though Jean's work has been so reliably proactive, Amanda really hasn't done much at all to recognize and reward that behavior. She's not implementing even any positive consequences and instead is just operating on the assumption that Jean can read her mind. What about Mosin? What happened when Mosin came to their meeting looking for help and getting started? Was he given feedback? Did anyone else know he was unprepared? What happens if he comes prepared next time? So in either case, Amanda needs to think about consequences that she can use, whether they're positive or negative, to drive more of the behaviors and outcomes that she wants to see on her team. So here's a really important takeaway. This consequence that I'm referring to is accountability. Accountability means there is a consequence, positive or negative, if a person takes or doesn't take an action. At this point, I'm gonna stop for a second and I'm gonna ask Brandon to join the conversation about accountability and help us, you know, kind of weigh in on Amanda's supervisory choices. So, hi Brandon, thanks for coming. Yep, good to be here. <laughs> great, yep, great to have you here. So at this point, it's really clear that Amanda's team is demonstrating different degrees of initiative. So Jean is demonstrating initiative, Mosin is demonstrating a lack of initiative. And Amanda has decided, no, this is a really important, um, this is a really important concept idea that she wants to action, that she wants to see with her team. So while she wants her team to take more initiative around their work, she really isn't giving them much direction. Um, and I assume that's probably a really common situation. You want something to happen, but you're not sure how to make it happen. So could you talk a little bit about what you expect to happen if Amanda keeps doing what she's doing? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So, you know, as, as many of us do as supervisors, we quietly appreciate people who are doing the things that we want them to be doing. And we often are quietly frustrated with those who aren't doing the things that we want them to be doing. Um, and so that's in this scenario, that's what we see with Amanda, right? She's um, she's frustrated with one team member and she's appreciative of the other, but it's quiet. She's not saying this to them directly very much. She's not being clear with Jean in particular, I really like what you're doing. This is really important. I wanna see more of this. Um, so going forward, if she continues, if Amanda continues on that path of quiet appreciation and frustration, I would imagine she'll have the same conversations over and over again with Mosin. <laughs> and maybe eventually he'd catch on, um, 
but she's probably going to keep doing that. And Jean may continue to do what she's doing um, or may not, but she's not going to know how appreciated that is and how important that behavior is to her boss. So thank you. So it sounds like either if Amanda doesn't take any action, she could expect status quo mm -hmm. at best. You know, they both just keep doing what they're doing. Or maybe, you know, Mosin doesn't ever really catch on and so maybe becomes disengaged or, you know, stops becoming a, a solid performer. And then Jean, too, maybe just thinks, well, why am I working so hard? If So, okay, so there's exactly, yeah. definitely some yeah. results there, potentially. Um, could you talk a little bit about why, like, Jean and accountability? So, in other words, why would Amanda need to hold Jean accountable? Because um, Jean is already doing what Amanda wants. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so with accountability, most of us think immediately about sort of punishment for doing something bad, right? That's what we think about. Um, and there's that element to accountability. But more important as a supervisor is creating incentives, um, you know, rewarding behavior you want to see more of, right? How do you make that positive? And so in this case, it's really important if Amanda wants to create a culture of accountability on the team around being proactive, taking the initiative, um, the best thing she can do is reward it when she sees it, right? And make it clear this is important to me. So with Jean, making sure that Jean knows it is really valued, it's really important, making sure the rest of the team knows that this is something that uh, Amanda needs and wants, you know, the work requires it. Um, and that's even more important than addressing sort of the problematic side of it, although that is a piece of it for sure. So you're saying a culture of accountability really includes, like it says on the slide there, that just the idea that there is a consequence and it's something that people are aware of and it could be positive or negative. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I think what strikes me in that is that I think, you know, it's it would be very complex to figure out, well, what do I do? How do I reward? How do I incentivize? What does that look like? So I think, you know, those of you in the audience that are listening, you might be thinking, what kinds of decisions can you make to foster a culture of accountability? In other words, how, what does that look like? How would you go, where would you start? So actually, Brandon is going to present a tool for you called the Accountability Ladder that I think will help you in thinking this through. So thank you, Brandon. Yeah. So the Accountability Ladder, which you can see here, uh, this is a, a tool to help you think about specifically how do you do accountability. Um, so this ladder describes different levels of consequences, both, both positive and negative, uh, if someone achieves or doesn't achieve a particular outcome or behavior you're looking for. Um, and, and by the way, this ladder is intended to illustrate and not be comprehensive. There are, this doesn't include everything you could do as a supervisor, but it should give you a sense for what some of the things uh, are. It also provides some benchmarks for you to think about the impact uh, of different levels of accountability on actions and behaviors of, of your team. Uh, now, the ladder itself is kind of a nice way or an easy way to understand how much accountability there is now for a particular action or behavior. Um, and then to think about whether that's enough accountability if what you're looking to do is change behavior or promote kind of new behavior. You'll also notice on the ladder that there are different types of consequences. You can kind of roughly group them into some are peer pressure, um, which is something that can really drive behavior sometimes, uh, organizational culture pressure, financial impact, and career impact. And roughly as you move up the ladder, you move up towards that financial and career impact. Now, it's generally a good idea to start with the lowest level of sort of consequences, positive or negative, that will get you what you're looking for. Um, it takes, as you move up the ladder, as a supervisor, it takes more of your time and energy to do those things. So you, you don't want to sort of start high and go low. You want to kind of start at the bottom and work your way up. 
So let's walk through actually what these uh, items are on the ladder. So if we start at the bottom uh, at a zero, this is really no, there's no consequence, right? So, or no pressure there. You can, you can do the behavior if you want, you cannot do it if you don't want to, and nothing will happen to you. So there's no incentive for, for doing it. So if what you're trying to do is get your team to be more proactive, if it's at a zero, whether they do it or not won't make any difference. So you're probably not gonna see much happen at a zero. Now, as we move up the ladder, you start to get into a little bit more behavior change you're going to see. Um, so the next three rungs kind of loosely fall into a bucket of pure pressure. Um, so at a one, this is where many other people know what responsibilities are of, of uh, people on the team. And if you as a supervisor are clarifying and communicating roles and responsibilities, then this is pro then you're doing a one, right? You're letting people know, here's what you can expect of the people on the team. Now, you're not going to know out of one how well they're doing, but you're going to know what they're supposed to be doing. As you move up to a level two, uh, this is where then the person uh, or the people individually know whether they're succeeding or failing at that. No one else may know, but they know. And, you know, most people want to be successful, so that will create a little bit of incentive, a little bit of motivation. At a three, uh, this is now where a few other people are going to be aware of success or failure. Um, and so there that you're going to get a little bit of that peer pressure to, to do those behaviors you're trying to incentivize and um, to not do the things you're, you're trying to not incentivize. Although you're still, this is a lower level of um, uh, accountability there. So as we move up then towards the middle of the ladder, the next few rungs, um, you know, you really start to see an increase in, in some of the consequences, positive and negative. And these are kind of loosely grouped into organizational cultural pressure um, at a four is where you would feel strong pressure, uh, cultural pressure within your team or department to do or not do something. And the way that this would play out is, you know, every culture in a team or department or unit, um, there's things that are valued and things that are not valued. And if someone is doing those things that are valued, people around them are gonna react positively. And if you're not doing those things, people will react negatively. And that creates that cultural pressure. Um, at a five, this is where you as a supervisor are really kind of very directly getting involved. And this is where you're either praising or critiquing um, behavior. And so, for example, if you're trying to create a culture of uh, people being proactive and taking the initiative, then if you're at a level five, if you want to do this, you are giving feedback to people on how well they're doing at that directly um, and individually. At a six, this is where a lot of people know about uh, their success or failure. So that's gonna create, um, oftentimes that creates a lot of uh, incentive for people to, to do certain behaviors because a lot of people know about it. So now as we move up towards the, the higher end of the ladder, you move into financial impact. Um, at a seven, uh, this is where people may receive or would receive a higher or lower performance rating uh, based on how well they're doing that behavior. So what that means for you as a supervisor, if you want to you know, get into a, a level seven, um, then when you do performance evaluations, the rating that people get, you're thinking about how well are they doing the behavior you want. So in the case of Amanda, she would be thinking about, I'm going to give my highest ratings to those people who are the most proactive. So that's how you get to a seven. And then an eight is where it starts to impact directly compensation. This may be merit or retention or other kinds of things that, that have a financial piece to it. And so again, as the supervisor, the way you do a level eight is you when you're making those decisions about money, um, you're factoring in, 
are those people doing what it is you want them to be doing around accountability? And if they are, then they're going to get the most. And if they're not, then they're going to get the least. So that's how you get to a level eight. Then at the very top of the ladder, uh, we're talking about career impact. At a nine, this is things like um, stretch assignments, special projects, uh, giving people visibility to maybe senior leaders or key stakeholders, um, you know, or, or not doing that and basing those decisions on um, how well someone uh, is doing on those behaviors. So if you want people to be more proactive, you're giving the more proactive people those stretch assignments, um, the visibility, the you know cool, interesting projects, that kind of thing. And then at a level 10, this is around promotions and terminations. And, and typically the way to think about this is when you have the opportunity to promote someone, you wanna focus on promoting people who demonstrate those behaviors you're trying to um, incentivize on the team. Okay, so that's a quick uh, overview of the ladder. And when you're trying to drive accountability for something that's gonna take a lot of effort, require people to change how they work, it typically realistically takes a six or a seven on the ladder before you're gonna see a group of people kind of consistently taking action. Um, you may be able to do a four or a five on the ladder if you have a highly engaged team um, and you have you know, good working relationships with your direct reports because they're gonna care what you think and what the team thinks. Uh, but often it does take a six or a seven if you're trying to drive some real change. Uh, so let's think back to our example. Uh, so Amanda uh, wants to establish more accountability on her team for taking initiative around their work, for being proactive. So on the left here, you see two key accountabilities that we described. Cross-trained a colleague for backup and brings well-thought-out drafts to the meeting. So those are examples that she sees in her team members of that uh, thing she's trying to drive accountability for. So let's do a quick poll here uh, to think about um, to think about where Amanda is on the accountability ladder right now. So if you look at the um, different categories and you can kind of scroll, or at least on mine, I have to scroll up and down a little bit to see all of them. Uh, just select the one that you think best reflects where Amanda is right now around accountability. And as you're doing that, uh, I just want to also acknowledge that as you look through these, you're going to have more or less control over different rungs on the ladder. Um, some things you have a lot of control over, like what you praise and give, you know, and critique, that's under your control, you decide. Other things you have a lot less control over. Um, you may or may not be able to decide review scores uh, for people on your team uh, when it's an opportunity to promote people. Individual supervisors often don't have absolute control over that. Um, and so, but you can influence those things uh, oftentimes. And so, um, you know, that's a factor to be thinking about here. Okay, so should we, okay, we'll, we'll close the poll now and we'll kind of see what people thought. Okay, so as I'm looking here, um, it looks like the majority or the, the single largest uh, was the number three. A few others know about their success or failure, 30% and 20% picked uh, only they know about their success or failure. And in with the information we have about Amanda, it's definitely, you know, I would say uh, one, well, zero, one, two, or three. Um, and so clearly, you know, there's not a ton of accountability um, for this uh, particular uh, behavior that Amanda's trying to, um, to drive. Okay, so um, in this case, as we think about what Amanda needs to do, it, it looks like she's gonna to need to increase that level of accountability if she's gonna to wanna to see consistent behavior change. 
Um, so, but before we go any further, um, one of the things we want to talk about is how you're defining the actions or accountabilities you're trying to change. So in the box there, example actions, how do you define those? Um, and to answer that, Emily's going to talk about what to look for when you define your key accountabilities. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. That was that was really interesting. I just I just there's a comment here mm. that I wanted to um, surface. Someone yeah. said um, it looks like D Drag zero zero one said I do well with praise and sometimes struggle with critique. And I think yeah. I just wanted to note that here because that's something we'll talk about a little bit later in our scenario. And as you were talking, I think it's it's not it's not uncommon for a supervisor to be around the zero to three because mm -hmm. that's comfortable, maybe yep. a little bit more comfortable than the others. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, thank you for your chatting. Um, that's It's really helpful for us to see where you are right now. So into key accountabilities. Uh, a key accountability needs to be either an outcome or an observable behavior. Uh, it also needs to be specific enough so that both the supervisor and the employee know exactly what is expected. Um, so for example, if you have an employee who could be more proactive, and maybe you think to yourself, I want them to be more motivated. Right. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. Well, that's certainly not a bad thought, but uh, what does it actually look like? So to be clear, this is a great starting point and it's not wrong, but in order to hold people accountable, you'll need it to be specific enough and define the change you want as a behavior you can actually observe. In other words, you need to know what success looks like so you can assess the progress of your employee, and your employee also needs to know what it looks like so they can understand what they need to change. So let's working with this idea of motivation, let's compare the starting point of, I want them to be more motivated to the one on the right there, which is, I want them to come prepared to meetings with well thought through drafts of their ideas. And this is what Amanda's thinking about Mosin. The first one on the left is vague, and it's not easily observable. So it'd be very hard to change or hold anyone accountable for it. I and mean, we don't really know what it would look like. The second one is specific. It's a behavior that is observable. If your employee knows that this is what's expected of them, they'll just simply have a better idea of what they need to change. So just a, just a quick takeaway here is just that a key accountability can either be an outcome or an observable behavior, and it needs to be specific enough. Once you have that, you'll be able to take the next steps. Before we go on, I want you to think about your team or the employees you manage. What's a key accountability you would like to drive with them? Is it specific? Is it an outcome or an observable behavior? Great, so I hope some of these key points have been clear so far, and I hope you're also referring to your action sheet for any other explanation. Um, as Brandon mentioned, the ladder is on there as well if you, anytime you want to refer back to that. We're going to move into our second part, which is um, taking a closer look at how accountability might play out with you in your direct report, and also what gets in the way and how to deal with these challenges effectively. So what we're thinking about is, how do I build a culture of accountability? So please continue to think about how your decisions around these consequences create a culture of accountability in your office, your department, or your unit, you know, as we talk through this. So hopefully you're making some connections. So we have our scenario. We talked about Mosin earlier. We're gonna use this to illustrate some concepts here. Let's dive into the steps of accountability to think through how Amanda could hold him accountable for his lack of initiative. You know, what would it look like? What does it sound like? What, you know, what are the actions gonna be? So like we said earlier, just to recap, he's engaged, he's competent, but despite this, he really, he relies too heavily on Amanda's feedback to get started and rarely makes decisions on his own. During their meetings, and this is what Amanda sees it the most, he seems unprepared, he asks lots of questions about details, and honestly, Amanda would like him to answer these on his own. It's, it's within the scope of his role. 
or at least come to the meeting with ideas and possible solutions. She's not really sure if he's aware of the issue, um, but she is surprised because he's always done good work, but he's still asking for this kind of help, even on tasks that he's done before. She often finds herself thinking, you can see it here on the screen, why can't he just do his job? So let's do a quick poll. At this point, we're gonna put ourselves in Amanda's shoes. We're gonna put ourselves in Amanda's shoes and ask ourselves, what does she need to do first? Where should she start? So you have these, uh, you have these four choices in front of you. And again, the question is, what does she need to do first to build accountability? How about A, asking him what kind of training he needs to feel more confident about decision-making? Maybe B, nothing. Just be glad he's competent, nobody's perfect, okay? What about C, figure out what her specific expectations of Mosin are? Or D, stop meeting with him to make him take more ownership? Okay, I'll give you a minute to respond to the poll and then we'll look at your responses. Hey, wow, look at that. I'm <laughs> looking at your responses. Thank you so much for entering your response into the poll. Looks like some of you have chosen A, nobody went for B or D, okay and many of you went for C. I think what that tells me is it wasn't, those weren't very well written distractors, but let's walk through them for a minute anyway and think about, think about why C might be our best answer. So I think if we're honest with ourselves as supervisors, all of these choices are tempting. The first one about the training, it sounds like good supervision. I mean, we always think we wanna support our direct reports by offering training. It seems like a good idea. Um, B, the second one is also tempting. Um, he's competent and asking her for help all the time really isn't the worst thing in the world. I mean, she's put up with it. Maybe she's tempted not to rock the boat. I think many of us could relate to this. The fourth one, D, also seems like it could work. Maybe he just needs to sink or swim, especially if he's been in the role for a while and has done these tasks before. Right, so A, B, and D are somewhat rooted in logic, but yes, I think the best answer is C. I wanna point out C is not the only answer, but it is the best answer because it's the one that will actually build accountability with Mosin, and that's Amanda's goal. She needs to figure out what her specific expectations are of him, uh, and this goes back to what we just talked about, defining key accountability, because up to this point, she still hasn't communicated to him what kind of initiative she wants from him. She needs to clarify this herself first and then tell him directly. So again, defining that key accountability is the first step. Uh, we've actually put together a simple framework that I think will help you think through this approach to how to establish accountability that we're going to show you in the next few slides. So this is our um, this is our model here in front of you. So the first step to drive action through accountability is to define the key accountability, and that's what we've talked about so far. And this, of course, is the behavior that you want to influence on your team. Um, this is where Amanda needs to start. The second, the second step is to communicate. She needs to make sure this expectation is communicated and understood by her direct report, in this case, Mosin, and then her other direct reports also, if she's gonna be thorough. Third, she needs to assess the consequences. So in other words, what happens if people take or don't take the action? Lastly, the fourth step, how will she follow through? How would you follow through? What adjustments would you be willing to make? So as you see here, and this might be apparent already, steps one and three are more of your internal thinking and planning. So this is you thinking, okay, how am I gonna do this? Steps two and four, so communication and follow through, are doing. This is how you communicate your expectations and what actions you'll take. 
So yes, this model, while lovely and useful, it's a lot to take in at once. So we're gonna model this again through our scenario. So let's go back and take a look at Amanda and Wilson. And I hope this is helpful in kind of thinking through what this also might look like for you and what these steps look like. So first step, define. Let's go back to Amanda. She's frustrated with Mosin, but she of course realizes she may not have set up clear expectations for what she was holding him accountable for. And I think we've established this. At this point, yes, she needs to communicate to him that when he has an individual project, project, she needs him to come to their meetings prepared with a draft or an outline of his ideas so she can help him with any details and not spend their time on getting started. So again, this is a behavior. She's not saying, I need you to be more motivated. She's saying, I need you to come prepared. We've determined the, this, that her key accountability was ill-defined. And let's stop for a minute and think why. Because Amanda, she's a pretty strong supervisor. But what else might be going on here? So I just want to point out this idea of magical thinking. Maybe you've heard of this. Maybe you've been a victim. Um, this is a common pitfall that supervisors run into. We, as supervisors, we fall into believing that, the, that our direct reports just kind of know what they need to do. And it's certainly true. Yes, some direct reports do seem to know what's expected of them, and they do it without our explicit guidance. This is connected to the previous point. In Amanda's case, Jean is doing an awesome job of taking initiative, but Bobson isn't. In either case, if Amanda hasn't set clear expectations for their work, she's doing them a disservice. Jean may have a more similar work style to Amanda, and she can pick up on what Amanda's looking for. That's great, but Amanda still owes it to both Jean and Mosin to be clear about her expectations and not expect them to read her mind. So we're going to go into our scenario for a minute, and let's hear what this actually might sound like between Mosin and Amanda. We have Brandon and Amanda here in the roles of Mosin and his supervisor. Thanks, you guys. Hey, Molson. I know you've been thinking a lot about your upcoming presentation. We have a meeting scheduled early next week, and I want you to come to the meeting with a thorough draft of your presentation so that we can spend our time refining it or discussing any last-minute details. I feel confident that you can do this since you know the material and you have presented before. Okay. Do you think you can do that? I, I don't know. I'm not sure. After my last presentation, you gave me some pretty tough feedback. I felt like my presentation just wasn't good enough. I'd feel better if I could get your input from the get-go. Oh. I remember you told me you would have preferred that I organized my ideas differently, something about how I should have started with the big picture and then gone into the details. I thought it worked better the other way around, but you didn't like that. And you also said I presented way too fast. I had a lot of information to get through, and, and it wasn't easy. Huh. Um, I guess I didn't realize that. It wasn't really that big of a deal. So, hopefully you've noticed that this didn't work out exactly the way Amanda thought it would. She leaves the meeting feeling confused because she had planned to do her due diligence to, to clearly communicate her expectations of Molson and this accountability that she expected. But now she's slightly derailed by this feedback that she's getting from him at this point. She's thinking herself, well that feedback I gave him wasn't meant to be tough. It was just suggestions for next time. So there are actually lots of ways a supervisor might respond to this kind of derailment, but I think what's important here is to, is to focus on the miscommunication. So that's what happened. Whatever happened, it led to Mosin getting the message that his decisions weren't good enough. And honestly, yes, Amanda remembers saying this, and she does feel like Mosin did these things and maybe confused his audience a little bit, but generally he did a good job on the presentation. 
So it's at this point that the supervisor, so Amanda in this case, she needs to take the next step, remembering that their actions are developing a culture of accountability in her office, unit, department, team. So my question to you is, what would you do? So let's think here, if you were in this situation with, as like Amanda is in right now, where you're trying to communicate this key accountability and you get a little bit of pushback from your direct report, that's valid, but you're not quite sure how to handle it. You can go ahead and enter your ideas into the chat to share them with others, and I encourage you to read through each other's ideas. So while you're thinking about what you would do if you were Amanda, I'm gonna, again, ask Brandon to weigh in on what he sees as needing to happen here. So Brandon, in your opinion, um, we're seeing this kind of a uh, little bit of a frustration on Amanda's part, um, maybe in some confusion on Mosin's part. And again, Amanda has to make a choice here. What should she do? Um, mm -hmm. In your opinion, what's the most important takeaway so far from what we've seen just happen between Amanda and Mosin? Yeah. Well, if we go back to what Amanda's trying to do, she's trying to create accountability on her team for being proactive. And what we saw between her and Mosin is that she had been trying, in her mind, she'd been trying to give him some helpful suggestions, right? But what he heard was pretty significant criticism. And as any of us would, when we get criticism from our boss, it's gonna make us more cautious, right? We're gonna do the opposite of being proactive. <laughs> We're gonna, you know, so Molson's gonna do the opposite of what Amanda wants him to do. So how do you address that then? Well, you know, she, she wasn't trying to be very critical. Um, and she may be feeling like, well, he didn't hear me or whatever, but she really, as a supervisor, needs to own that communication piece and be clear with Mosin about, I thought you did a fine job. This was suggestions for next time. Um, and then reinforce with him, I want you to be proactive. I want you to do this and I'll have your back if it doesn't go perfectly. And then of course she needs to actually do that. Thank you, yeah. that's great. And I'm looking, th that was uh, really useful. And I'm looking at our chat here and I see a lot of our supervisors out there are kind of suggesting kind of that reflective listening piece where we're saying okay, what do you mean tell me more and that seems really useful but you're suggesting to go even a little bit one step further and then say but this is what i expect of you and to clarify that again that expectation and also to encourage him to take a risk and that it's okay yeah because one of the things that gets in the way of people being proactive is when they don't know for sure how their supervisor is going to react. Absolutely. And so just leaving that up, just listening is great. It's great. But if you listen, uh, there's still a lot of room for misunderstanding on the part of your direct report. So in this case, if I was Amanda, I would want to be really clear so that Molson felt like he wasn't in trouble and that he could be proactive in the future. Thank you. That's a great clarification. So I think there are two choices here. You know, um, she either needs to clarify the expectations or to be honest, she can choose to just let it slide, to say, well, I tried. So letting it slide is really common because to be honest, I mean, let's be honest, this kind of feels like it could be the beginning of a conflict and you want things to be smooth, don't you? Um, but it's still clear that Mosin doesn't understand what, his, what she expects of him. Um, so let's play out these two decisions separately and think about the effects. So whether she chooses to let it slide or whether she chooses to do as Brendan suggested and kind of keep trying to communicate that. So let's pick up back at our scenario after she realizes there's been a miscommunication around the presentation and what's expected of Molson. And we have uh, Amanda and Brandon here again. I remember you told me that uh, you would have preferred I organized my ideas in a different way. Uh, you also said I went too fast. I just had so much information to present. Oh, okay, I see. Um, well, I think you did a really good job presenting I had a lot of trouble following the organization though, and I'm pretty sure the audience thought the main point of your presentation was confusing. Anyway, um, I think you did a really good job overall and you should keep it up. Okay. 
Okay, thanks. <laughs> Obviously, this approach, and I hope to you, it feels a little bit ineffective. She's trying not to upset him, so she's not holding him accountable for his inability to make decisions about these projects on his own. And to be honest, she may never have a conversation about it after this day, and will probably just keep dealing with it. So status quo. This kind of situation is common because a lot of supervisors don't want to risk offending their direct report, especially if they have a unique set of skills. Yes, this kind of situation is frustrating, and your direct report isn't developing the skills outside of their original skill set, but you might feel like you don't want to confront them. You know, they what if they get upset? They leave, and then you'd be stuck, and um, you know you don't want to face that kind of consequence, however, um, however possible or or not possible that might be. At this point, just please remember that opting for inaction, just as Amanda did in our example, it's also accountability. But in this case, it's low to no accountability. And this will contribute to the culture in your department or unit. So all of your actions and inactions contribute to the culture of accountability on your team. If you don't take action when accountability happens or doesn't happen, think about what you're actually driving here behind your decision. Um, for example, let's say you're trying to build a culture on your team where people show up promptly for meetings and they're ready for the discussion. And if they miss the meeting, they're, they're responsible in getting the information that they missed. So if team members routinely arrive 10 minutes late, they're not prepared and they don't follow up, then not addressing this, even though it seems like a small thing in some ways, not addressing this is choosing to keep the accountability at a level where nothing will change. So again, lack of accountability also creates a culture on your team. So with all of this, and I'm sure many of you in the audience have already figured this out, no, I'm not gonna let it slide. So why do we do it? Why is it so tempting to let it slide? And one of the ideas, um, one of our ideas is that people often say they, I don't really have time to hold someone accountable. And yes, we hear this a lot. I, I can hear myself saying this. And to be honest, let's, let's admit that time is not really the issue. Yes, time is an issue, but it's not the only issue. So if we unpack it a little bit, we see these fears underlying the idea of time, you know, not having any time. These factors that we've listed on the slide, fear, desire to be liked, desire to keep the status quo, and discomfort with conflict may also be contributing to this idea of inaction. So maybe you're afraid that if you do try to raise the level of accountability, you'll lose someone on your team and they have valuable skills. So maybe it's more of a priority for you to let it slide than to try to drive change and take that risk. Maybe being liked and having a friendly work environment is important to you, and you don't want to risk that. So you just kind of say, you know what, I'll keep dealing with it. Yes, it can be hard to set expectations and then follow through with consequences. And one reason for this is that you don't want to rock the boat. And that's this third one here, you know, keeping the status quo. In this case, Amanda's relationship, it's okay with Mosin outside of this frustration. She doesn't want to risk it, uh, that, you know, going sour or losing his skill. And yes, lots of supervisors are, might follow this too and hesitate to follow through because they don't want to rock the boat. So let's do a take two. So we've already shown what it looks like to, to you know, if, if she lets this slide, and maybe this, hopefully this is resonating with you as well. What would happen if she took this opportunity to do the kind of best practice, which is to clarify her expectations? That's step two. So let's play this out again. So take two. Amanda, in this situation, you know, she's reflected on this feedback she got from Mosin um, and the mistake he made, so she remembers it, and she's just gonna keep going ahead because it's important to her that Mosin take this step. So let's hear what she has to say to Mosin during the meeting. Thank you, Amanda and Brandon. So I remember that you told me you thought I should have organized things differently and that I presented too fast. 
Yes, I do remember suggesting that for next time, you might want to start with the big picture before diving into the details. And a couple times you went really quickly through some important points, but overall I thought it was fine. I was trying to give you ideas for next time. Okay, but you sounded really unhappy with the presentation. It seemed like you thought I should have worked with you a lot more closely as I put it together so that that wouldn't happen. Actually, that's not what I was looking for, but I can see how you interpreted it that way. I could have been clearer. What I want for you is to put more of your own ideas together before coming to me. My feedback was supposed to help you think through how you might improve for next time so that you can create a draft yourself and then bring it to me for input. I thought you did a fine job with that last presentation and I don't expect you to be perfect or to present exactly the way that I would. I really want you to be more proactive and take the initiative to, to move the work along and to come to me for input, but not until you have a well thought out draft. Hmm. I'm not always sure what you're looking for, so it's really helpful to get your input before I get started. That way I won't mess up like I did last time. I understand why you might feel like you messed up. I didn't think so, but I could have been more clear that I thought you did good work. I also want you to know that I'll support you and have your back if you make a mistake or two. All right, I'll give it a try. Great job, Amanda. <laughs> wow, I mean, that was clear. He knows what's expected of him, and we saw Mosin come around and say, you know, okay, I'll give it a try. So much more clear communication there. So now she's done, right? No, not exactly. In this situation, she's ready to move on to the next steps of accountability. So step three, assessing whether her communication was effective and following through. So I hope at this point, this is kind of sounding familiar to work you're already doing as a supervisor in feedback, coaching, and performance management. Remember, accountability is something you're already doing too. This webinar is a reminder to make it more intentional in order, in order to create the culture of accountability that you want in your department or unit. It's also important at this point not to jump to action. Instead of jumping to action, you know, after you've had a conversation like this, give your direct report time, coaching and support, they need to do their part. I mean, yes, Mosin says, okay, I'll try, and that's great. Effort is, effort is a lot, it's important. But accountability is what they actually do. So Amanda needs to think about whether he has demonstrated these behaviors yet. The accountability ladder might be a good tool to keep you in check on whether the actions are effective, you know, thinking about you know, what are the consequences. So let's think for a minute how the accountability ladder might reveal other challenges supervisors face. And Brandon's going to jump in and talk a little bit about this with us. Yeah, so a common way for a supervisor to increase accountability for something that you're trying to change or get more of um, is to go from a three to a five on the ladder. Um, as supervisors, we often rely on peer pressure, uh, if we're honest, to hold people accountable for important actions. Um, and, and some of this, I mean, some of this is you only have a limited amount of time and energy, but it also means that we don't need to address things directly. Um, if a few other people are aware of someone's success or failure and this puts pressure on people to be successful, that often gets what you need. Um, but what if that isn't enough? Uh, a simple step you can take is to take this action or behavior that you're trying to get more of and uh, drive accountability for um, and make it a focus of the praise or the critique that you offer when you meet one-on-one -on -one with your direct reports. So now you're not relying on peer pressure alone, which has its limitations. But then you think about what does this actually mean for you as a supervisor to do this, to actually go from a three to a five? Um, think about what that would feel like to you if you took something 
that you were trying to drive accountability for, that you'd been relying on sort of peer pressure for, and now you were going to start addressing it directly with your direct reports. What would that first conversation be like? You know, what would you need to explain to them? Um, and how comfortable would you be having this conversation? These are really important things to consider because a lot of us get really uncomfortable going from a three to a five, and as a result, we might avoid it. We might know, okay, three isn't getting me where I need to go, but oh my gosh, I don't know about going to a five. So I'm gonna turn it back to, to Emily to yeah. take us uh, through the last part here. Great, thanks Brandon, that was, uh, yeah, that was great. So let's go back to our scenario just to, to kind of um, get some closure here. Um, we'll go back to our scenario with Mosin and Amanda and see how things are going. Um, time has passed, Mosin has been more proactive, he has shown more initiative, you know, he's come to those meetings more prepared than he was before, but he's still a work in progress. And so let's think about the follow through here. You know, let's say for Amanda, a new project has come up that she needs to assign to either Jean or Mosin. Jean is performing as well as always, and Mosin is, has improved, and both of them have expressed interest in this project. So we're thinking about the accountability ladder. Amanda really wants to show them to demonstrate this consequence for their, for their actions. So who do you think she should assign this project to? And as you're thinking about that, again, I'm gonna ask Brandon about his opinion as well, because I think this is a really, this will surface a lot of the complexities and sort of unknowns that, that you might face in a situation like this. So Brandon, if Amanda has is faced with a situation where she wants to reward, you know, kind of demonstrate consequences for the work that they've been doing, what should she be thinking about or what should a supervisor be thinking about if faced with this type of decision with these kinds of employees? Yeah. So, you know, there's not necessarily a right answer. And there's a lot, if this was a real life situation that we don't know. But the, the keys would really be for Amanda to be clear with um, Jean, with Mosin, with her team on why she made the decision that she ends up making and, and commun really communicating that. So, um, for example, if she decides to you know, give a special project to, to Jean, um, that the conversation would be around, you know, Jean, you really consistently show great initiative, you're very proactive, and so I'm giving you this assignment um, so that you can, you know, really demonstrate that and run with that, and I think this is a great opportunity for you. She would then tell Mosin, you know, Mosin, you, you've been working on this. Um, I'm glad to see that. Keep making progress. I'm giving this project to Jean because she really is good at taking the initiative, and this is a project that really requires a lot of that. And then if she has a broader team, you know, having a conversation with the team about that. Um, if it was, went the other way, she could tell Mosin, you know, Mosin, I, you've been working really hard on this. I've seen some progress. I'm giving you this assignment because I think this is a great opportunity for you to up your game even more and do even more. Mm -hmm. And maybe then tell Jean, you know, you're great at this. You're great at being proactive. I'm giving this project to Mosin because he is working on getting better at this and because this is really important and it's a great opportunity for him and sharing that with the team. So the key is making sure that people know that being proactive in this case is driving those decisions. Thank you, that's, I hope that's answering a lot of questions that are kind of running through our audience's head around like, what do you do? What do consequences look like? And what I'm hearing you say is, yes, the consequences are important, but equally as important is communicating 
to your direct reports about why those decisions are being made the way that they are. That there's not yeah. just a one-size-fits-all or only one answer for how a supervisor should do things. Is right. That that's exactly right. So that the team knows that these are the behaviors you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. And that's driving the decision. Great. I like that too because it allows for a supervisor to kind of figure it out as they go. Mm-hmm. We don't always have the answers right away. And we can, if, as long as we're talking about it with our team, then we can you know, get a lot of buy-in on that. So we have some um, key takeaways for today's, for today's webinar. Our first key takeaway that I hope, uh, I hope all of these have been apparent to you, but the first one is that you define the behavior you want to cultivate on your team. The second is you drive accountability for that behavior through action or inaction. And there's a lot to think about within that statement, but you know, you're the one driving that accountability. The third one is you have options to consider when certain actions aren't working. And that's where the accountability ladder can help and I hope, too, a lot of the chat that you've been participating in during this webinar and a lot of the, the questions and answers that Brandon has been providing has been, have been helping to kind of frame that up for what that would look like. So unfortunately, with the time, we don't have a lot of time for Q&A. I think there have been a lot of really great chat, a lot of really great chat going on today. And also, like I said, Brandon's, I think Brandon's perspective has kind of weighed in like what the reality, what the reality is for supervisors and how we can kind of take a lot of these concepts and adapt them and apply them to, to our role. So thank you so much for your attention today. We were going through this content rather quickly. To learn more, you'll want to explore the supervisory development website at supervising.umn.edu. And hopefully most of you know this already, but that's where we that's where we house a lot of our quick guides and other resources that can support you in your super in your supervisory role. You can download them or view them anytime for your reference. So again, thank you everyone. I hope you had some of your questions answered through the webinar and maybe through the chat. And we just want to thank you for attending and sharing your thoughts with us today. We hope you find this information useful and relevant to your supervisory experience. And we look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Supervisory Development Course Podcast. Please explore resources mentioned in the podcast by going to supervising.umn.edu. The Supervisory Development Course podcast is created by Leadership and Talent Development within the Office of Human Resources at the University of Minnesota. If you have questions regarding supervisory development, please email us at ltd.umn.edu. At